cooler morning and warming up. Bees visiting the purple asters in the back garden. And have you noticed that there's one maple tree down the street that drops its leaves before all the others? <laughs> So this and that, and that and this, and you've tumbled in from the ten directions. Good morning and warm welcome. Good morning. Uh, our three-day fall young Junction at uh, nine this morning, although of course it never is quite finished. <laughs> and uh, during the young Junction, somebody I give some talks individually to uh, the participants and then some talks like this. So a little while ago, I thought I'd run out of it all. <laughs> and um, just uh, but I've cobbled something together. So let's see. <laughs> I shouldn't say but. And <laughs> it's a communication thing. You go on and on and on, and then you don't say but, you say and. It opens things up more, you know, opens possibility. Um, okay, so I think in about three parts. One is kind of a, a, a saying that I found that I just liked it. It was so darn ordinary. I really liked it. And then a kind of story that I already told at the Young Junction, but people seem to think, ha, oh, this is a pretty good story. And then a little lesson, actually a review of something we did last week. And uh, see if there'll be some time for a little bit of discussion. So here's this really thing that's so ordinary that I really love it. And it goes like this. Apparently it was found on a poster in a doctor's office. <laughs> <laughs> and it was up the the writing was on a picture of an old Native American woman walking along the road holding the hand of a little child. The caption read, The seasons come and go. Summer follows spring, and fall follows summer, and winter follows fall, and human beings are born and mature, have their middle age, begin to grow older and die, and everything has its cycles. Day follows night, night follows day. 
it is good to be part of all this. Interesting, just a short commentary, is that it's really easy, at least for me, to resist a lot of it. <laughs> this natural cycle of impermanence, that is, uh, part of this realm that we live in. Okay, so what's the next? Story. story. It's a story. Okay. <laughs> so, Many years ago, it feels like many lifetimes ago, because we are in different places and do different things. And at the time, I was a yoga student. And I was off from some yoga training in Grass Valley, California. At my mother's, she had a little resort in the mountains of British Columbia, which that's where I'm from, from British Columbia. And the resort was not like you think of a resort, pretty fancy. It was three or four rustic cabins and a tent ground. And actually, people used to come all the way from Germany. They heard about this place. It was on a lake fed by a glacier. And so people would come for about four months of the year because the rest, it was too cold. And um, we would take the garbage from all the uh, cabins and um, and we would there was a garbage dump a few miles ago away so we would haul it but almost before uh, we would ever get it to the garbage dump the bears always knew <laughs> that there was garbage there's garbage in the cans now there's they passed the word <laughs> so we would get all these bears over to the garb taking spilling it over all in it and so i would have it would just be a, a big mess so i had to get out and i would get the lids of banging them together to try to scare them away so they would go but they would be back mm -hmm. and it was scary and to have these bears around <laughs> all the time and so um we had to call the game warden or this naturalist or someone who would come with this trap and put honey in it and lure the bear. And he told me that he had to um, take the bear about 80 miles away, out of the watershed, because otherwise we'd have it immediately right back. Because the bear stay in their own watershed and they stay close to the garbage cans that are feeding them too. Well, or the food source, if it's a river and salmon, that kind of thing in British Columbia. Okay, I just tell you this because this is another story about a bear that lived uh, in a, uh, um, an area of low mountains and uh, there were others and uh, a circus was looking for bears to train and so uh, this particular bear got caught and uh, was taken by the circus and um, had a lot of training so it was a performing bear. You know? It could do somersaults, and it, um, it could stand on one foot and twirl. And if music was played, it could dance, and etc. You know, so it was very, uh, had lots of tricks. So um, it toured for a while in the circus, but at one point, uh, 
some, by some carelessness of the uh, circus maintenance people, the, the door of its cage was left open and so it escaped. And because it was in the same watershed still, it went right back to that place where it had been captured from. It's been away for five or six years uh, on the circus uh, trail, I guess. And um, so it was happened to be in the clearing and feeling a little out of sorts, not used to uh, being in the country again. So other bears kind of got smelled that there was this a new bear in town. And so they sort of moved a little closer to sort of scout out. And the bear, uh, they noticed the bear start to be doing kind of crazy things. It was uh, doing somersaults. <laughs> <laughs> Standing on one foot and twirling. <laughs> skipping and hopping around, and so they, they just, the bears are like, what are you doing? The bear said to his bear, and he said, well, I'm trying to get some food. <laughs> That's how he learned all his tricks, because he would get food. And they said to him, you lunkhead. That's not the way to get food when you're out in the country. You have to get food. You have to go out and dig for the grubs and find the honey. And learn where the wild raspberries and blueberries grow. So he did again. But because he has such habits built up by all his crazy training in the circus, <laughs> it was hard. And so the others had to help him, you know, because of his habitual patterns of just always being fed for his tricks. Well, uh, do you see any uh, relationship between this and himself? <laughs> of lunkheads, you know? <laughs> we get our conditioning and we forget that more than all of these things that we're doing tricks for is the treasure within ourselves. We call it Buddha nature. And in a very simple way of saying it, it is the clear mind. A clear mind that allows us to see things clearly. To be aware of things clearly. But our habitual patterns skewer that. And so we come to learn the practices not of, you know, being a trick bear, but of being of embodying the great potential we have, all of you Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, to enjoy a life of strenuous contentment and service. That's it. So, there's a little 
piece of calligraphy that I've shown you before, and uh, some of you may be new to it. It is, um, it's a kind of starting with the methodology to how to see things clearly. And I learned it with my children when I went to a retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh in Santa Barbara, California, probably in the early 90s. So a bunch of us, one other family from the Sangha, and my two girls, and, and me, and I, and me, right? <laughs> when, and it was about a week, and the theme was something that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh is this, would drill into us every day. He would talk about this theme, and he would also have us draw uh, on a paper this theme over and over again. All the kids, all the adults, everyone would have crayons, and we'd be doing it. And I was showing it to some of you last week, but it turned out that I was showing it to you backwards. Because I was doing it the way I saw it, but you were seeing it the wrong way, so I don't even know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show it to you the right way this time, okay? So, first of all, with the calligraphy, it's not as, well, maybe it's more interesting with my back to you. Then um, was the first a brush stroke that went horizontally, and then a stroke that went vertically, and then on the horizontal piece, a little one that went horizontally, on the vertical piece, another horizontal, and on that, vertical, and then a circle around it all, mm -hmm. thinking that your brush is a magic brush. So, okay, so we do it with me this time, so you get to see, really be embodied in with this. Okay, so first your brush goes horizontal stroke, and then vertical stroke, and then horizontal on the vertical, yeah, and vertical, and then a circle, Shh. Zen circle. Yeah. Have you got it memorized? Okay, by yourselves, I should watch. <laughs> yeah, I think you got it. So, now, what makes it more special than just doing a little calisthenics at the, uh, at the Zen Buddhist temple is what it means. It's beautiful. It's oftentimes these um, calligraphy characters have, have such beautiful meaning. And this one means stop. Look deeply. reflect. And, and the look deeply, the reflect goes with the look deeply. Reflect carefully. And the third part is respond. <coughs> so, stop. Look deeply and reflect carefully to respond. Okay, so that's the third part. Now, the next part is that
going back to after summer comes fall and then fall brings on winter and all of that the Native American thing, when we get challenged by some part of that and get in a tangle and begin to suffer as a result of that, then comes stop. And in order to be able to stop, we need to have some practices in our Dharma skill kit. We need, and I was talking about this last week too, we need to have a meditation, a regular meditation practice. And for some of you, it may be a regular chanting practice. And for some of you, it may be a regular prostration practice, which is very much more embodied. These, they say, you know, chicken shit is the best thing for composting in the yard. So sometimes we have to go out to the farm to get chicken shit for our compost. Makes it go faster. So, some kind of prostration, chanting, meditation practice, are the compost for the challenges that we have. So that when we get stopped, we can really look deeply, because the practices help us to compost the habitual patterns. So we're changing our lunkhead habits. That's kind of not a nice thing, but it makes us smile a little bit, and we need to take it <laughs> with a little bit of a sense of humor. It doesn't get anywhere if we're worsening and So to have, in order for that beautiful little element of calligraphy to be helpful, to have a meditation practice, also to keep the precepts of not to harm, but to cherish all life, not to lie, but to speak the truth, not to misuse our sexuality, not to take what is not given, Respect the things of others, practice generosity, not to misuse and intoxicate. It's very hard to stop if we're in the midst of going against the precepts. But there's something very beautiful and subtle that comes into the way we respond when we are keeping the precepts. And they're almost on our lips, in our hearts and minds. It's also helpful after, you know, doing some practice to, and um, keeping the precepts is to consult with the teacher from time to time. And to come and be with the Sangha. In work, in practice, socially sometimes. Sometimes the Sangha can come to you. Some of us have been very fortunate to go to one of our members, <coughs> be with her, 
special services. And in the tradition, there are practices that have been offered to us through the wisdom of those who have come before us. So there are practices when we have made mistakes, repentance practices. There are practices when people die and how we do that. There are practices in preparation for a special um, like ordination, like marriage, like blessing services. They're all practices that have come down to us to help us not to get mixed up in doing tricks, but instead going straight to the heart of things, to our true nature, and learning to respond from there. It's so important these days. You only have to open up the internet in some way to know that. You only need to know the people in your life to know that. That we take on a practice, each of us. I said this at the end last time. They'd always and I heard it always it's a If not you, then who? If not here, then where? If not now, when? Where? the reaction you might have when you hear me say what I just said, just passing on something from the tradition. Oh, no, not me. How could it be you? I have to do this. So that's when patience has to come. You've got, you've got everything. We each have a tremendous amount of potential. We just got mixed up with tricks again. And so we have to have some patience because it does take a while. This is not an instant thing. It's like walking in the fog. We don't realize until later. We got wet when we take on the Dharma. I seem to be stopping, looking deeply, and responding a little more these days. 